0: So hello again, after our meditation. Before I talk or offer any teachings tonight, and just to remind you that the teachings are really not something to believe. They're a kind of a meditation or a reflection. At their best, they remind you of something that you already know. At their worst, just throw them away. They're not right for you, or maybe not right at all. So you get to have a kind of discernment and really use them, if anything, just to tune to your own wisdom and your own love. I'd like to start by lighting a candle Happens to be an electronic candle, nevertheless. It's a wonderful one, like the one that we found at Ramdas's house now from Costco. It has a little flickering wick in it. Trudy picked them up and it's just great. Anyway, I want to light a candle to honor. To honor this special day. Because it's a time coming close. To the winter solstice. Today is also a day of the new moon and a full solar eclipse if you were down in Chile and South America. It's also the time of the Geminid meteor showers. Trudy and I went out last night late and looked up in the middle of the sky and waited and sure enough every minute or so another falling star would show itself silently and that's true for a few more nights it's the best meteor shower of the year and i remember when i've had the opportunity to look through a big telescope and see what seemed like points of light in the sky, there was Jupiter. And then you could see the moons going around Jupiter. And there was Mercury and you could see its pockmarked face like the the face of our moon or Venus moving. And in some way there was a magic in it because there was a sense of this slow and elegant, I think, The phrase is the music of the spheres, this dance of the orbs that we are a part of. And just as you could feel the trust of your breath breathing in and out, I could somehow feel the dance of the spheres and the music as part of this whole organic tapestry of light and life that's given us our lives. And of course, all over the Northern hemisphere now, there are rituals like Christmas and Hanukkah lights and Kwanzaa and Persian festivals and ones in Muslim and Indian and so forth for the solstice, the time for renewal, a time for celebration, a time for the trusting that the light will return. This is really, really important right now for us to feel, not just to see it or think of it, but the sense that vaccines are being distributed today in the US for the first time, and that there's the light of the end of the pandemic, even if it's going to be a tough winter, that we can see the end of it and here in california where there's been such a long fire season we've had beautiful rains in northern california the end of the fire season for now like the poet dina metzger says give me everything mangled and bruised and i will make a light of it to make you weep and we will have rain and we will begin again And so this turning of the seasons is the beginning of something new. The ending, the beginning of the end of the pandemic and the fire season. It's also this very day, the Electoral College's work to appoint our next president of the United States, President Biden, in spite of some pretty nutty conspiracy things that were out there, we can take a breath and say, ah, the democratic process of the polls has come to a, a conclusion that was fair. And somehow we can trust maybe that in this new year, no matter how divided we are, and the incredible pain that still exists from racism and economic injustice and caste system and all of those kind of things that we're beginning to feel our hearts and collective will move toward the healing toward the well-being of humans and the world around us so I'd like to tell a story tonight. You know, I'm a storyteller. It's just what I do. Ramdas once told me I tell too many stories. I looked at him and said, Ramdas, this is the pot and the kettle, you know? <laughs> but here's a story for you. And the thing about stories is that they're not just stories, but the old stories. And this is an old Chinese story. Their word story also means storehouse that they carry within them, these stories that have been told for centuries, they carry a whole storehouse of understanding and wisdom. So I'll let you sense what's in the storehouse. I'll unpack it in my way, but maybe you'll find other treasures. Once upon a time, as the story is told and it's told to be a true story, There was a family that lived in a village along a river in west central China. And the father of this family, who was a farmer and basically a good man, married a woman from the village and they had two daughters. And when the first daughter was six years old she got ill and died which broke the heart of her mother who also fell ill that year and died now the father was left with one daughter only and she became the light of his life her name was sen or senjo and she was a lovely little child He did everything for her and she liked to play. Her favorite playmate was a distant cousin who lived nearby in the village, Ochu. And they played together so well. He was a handsome little boy and they just enjoyed each other. And even the father would say, you'd make a good marriage when you grow up watching them and seeing how they enjoyed themselves. So somehow in their little children's hearts, which are very tender and listen very carefully to what the big people say. They believed that they were engaged. And then it came as she grew older, time for her to get married. And her father, seeking the best hand for her, found a young man, Hinryo, from a very good family and told her that this was who she would marry she was shocked and heartbroken and she told ochu i can't marry you my father is marrying me off to hinder you. and ochu could barely stand it as well you can imagine after all those years of their play and love he wept she wept cast down and depressed and ochu unable to bear the pain put his meager belongings into a small boat, said to his parents, I can't stay here anymore, and set off down the river that went through the village. Sen, or Senjo, Sejo, Sejo was so heartbroken herself that she ran away. And she ran down the path alongside the river, crying and weeping and calling out. And Ocho heard this voice, this familiar voice, oh, Sancho, it's you, it's you. And he pulled over and she stepped into the boat. They hugged each other and they set off down the river, running away, eloping to go to the next province far away and start a new life. And when they got there, this handsome and beautiful new couple, they found a small place to live. Someone took them in, they began to work and farm and help. And pretty soon they had their own children, a little boy and a little girl. But over the years, over the first few years of these children's lives, Seijo and her husband Ochu began to feel more and more that there was something wrong, that they had hurt their parents by fleeing. And Seijo especially needed to return, she said, to ask forgiveness of her father. So they found a boat again and put themselves in it and went back up the river and finally, Anne landed at the dock just by her old father's house. Ochu got out first and went to knock at the door. And the astonished father, who looked so much older and so tired, saw him. And Ochu said, we've come back. I brought Seijo with me to see you. We want to see you. We want to ask your forgiveness. And the father's eyes got wide and he said, this is impossible. This is impossible. You can't bring her with you. She is here. She's been here all along. In fact, when you left, she took to her bed and which has not spoken a word since then. We've fed her, but she will not say a word and she's not gotten up for five years. You can look in there and see her. Ochu took a peek, and he said, Father, she is in the boat. You must come with me. And the father first sent his servant, who nodded, yes, and invited, said, to follow the servant back to the house. And the father's eyes grew even wider as he saw his daughter now coming back toward him older. Who is this, he said, who could you be? And as she walked toward the house, The sejo that lay in the bed heard this voice and sat up and stood up and the two sejos walked toward one another until they came together as one and laughed and cried and brought the two children from the boat and hugged her father and said these are your grandchildren and they all stood there in wonder And that, that tenderness is the end of the story. Now, of course, there are a lot of levels to a story. This story has been told in the great Zen text, the Mumankan, and the question that it has often asks is, who is your true self? Sometimes it's called Sejo, loses her soul. The question for us is, can we come back? Can we come back to ourselves? For we live in a culture, if you think about it and look, that's really split. You remember that line from James Joyce, where he wrote, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body, right? And so we have our kids sitting at desks all day long or watching a scream screen now, because that's all they can do in the pandemic, when half the time they should be out running and playing in the playground in the woods and living the life of a child in some physical way. We've split ourselves off not from our only from our bodies, but the bodies of others. And you can drive through the streets of your cities, our cities and see the homeless encampments and the people in tents, you know, or the 800,000 or 1 million Dhaka children who are brought here as young children who are threatened to be sent back to places that they don't know, languages they don't speak. As Ajahn Buddha Dasa said of the modern society, how it looked to him, he said, lost in thought, separated from one another. And I know when I come back to the US after I've traveled to other countries, traveled to warm Latin countries or my favorite places in Asia or in Africa, where the men hold hands and put their arms around each other. They're not so homophobic. They love each other. it's not scary to the men to be tender and close with each other. And I feel when I come back, oh, you know, I'm back in the cold north or something like that. You know what I'm talking about. And COVID, of course, has highlighted it and made it more so. And then our crazy divided politics, where we are split and separated. And there's a kind of toxic nostalgia that divides us even more, the kind of our history of white supremacy or whites on top, the imagined past of the 1950s where women knew their place, right? That kind of toxic nostalgia. Or the 1850s where people of color knew their place. And we're still fighting that civil war. And in many ways, we're in exile from one another. But there's another possibility. And in your heart, you all know this. This is a part of a little story that my daughter wrote for her nonprofit. uh, Oasis in Berkeley, which works to get asylum for LGBT people from around the world whose lives are in danger. She said, our clients and staff provide me with inspiration. I'm reminded of a young law student from Saudi Arabia, Mariam, who was attending a law school in the Bay Area, and volunteered to help at Oasis, and was accompanying Elena, a transgender woman from El Salvador to her asylum interview Despite Miriam's own conflicted cultural feelings around sexual orientation and gender identity, quite different from that of Elena. But Miriam was professional, courteous and respectful as she prepared the client for the hearing. But she didn't engage in small talk during the subway BART ride on what would be one of the most difficult days in Elena's life. Miriam and Elena sat silently in a sterile waiting room. The asylum officer was running late. One hour, then two hours went by. Finally, Elena pulled out her phone and showed Miriam a photo of her Pomeranian, Lily. Miriam's face lit up. She too had a Pomeranian named Ali. They traded photos and stories and soon moved on to their love of jewel-studded high heels and. Louis Vuitton purses. Miriam taught Elena about the abaya she was wearing. By the time the officer was ready four hours later, Elena's fear had receded and Miriam was whispering reassuring cheers as they walked into the room. Standing outside the station at the end of the day, they held hands and each thanked the other. For Elena had won asylum, escaping almost certain death if she returned to El Salvador. And Miriam was preparing to return to her life in Saudi Arabia. They would likely never meet again. But my heart was moved as I watched how each had a profound impact on the other's life. Though these times can feel dark, we must remember that when we're able to sit down and talk to one another, to see the world through another's eyes and believe in our common humanity, there is hope. Mindful, loving awareness, no matter the darkness, is an invitation to trust, to know that it's never too late to start again. We don't know the full extent of our exile until we stop. Maybe when you meditate or you pause and you let yourself return back to your own body or heart because you've been too busy and too pulled upon by the culture and divided. And like Seijo, you come back to yourself. And when you do, often the tears need to come. The Buddha commended this in one of his stories where he told, told his monks a story of a great elephant that had been captured in the forest and brought to the king to be the lead element, elephant in the king's army. And it was the, it was the great you know, um, father of the elephants in the forest. And they began to train it. And it was a magnificent creature, the king would go. But when it was time for it to begin to get ready for the military campaigns, it would not move. And the king asked the elephant trainer, what's happened? And the elephant trainer said, I get word. I was trying to figure it out myself. I got word from those who are connected with bringing elephants to the palace that the old elephant mother of this elephant has been sick. And this great elephant had been bringing her food. And now it must be worried about its mother. And so the king went to the elephant and talked with it and said, we will bring your mother here and provide her with food every day. And they did. And the majestic elephant then was happy and led the king's forces and parades. And at the end of telling the story, the Buddha said, well, you tell the story and the hearts of those who hear it are softened. Now they can hear the Dharma. Now they can hear what is true. So when we start to pay attention and begin to listen, part of that listening may be difficult as in this story. Maybe the first part is to feel our tears, to feel the losses, to feel the exile from one another, to feel the division in the culture. I was listening to Paul Simon sing the song American tune which we sometimes, Trudy and I, and Tija would actually sing it. At the end of retreats, we let it spirit rock. It's such a wonderful song. And there's a verse I find for these times that's very poignant where he sings, I don't know a soul who's not been battered. I don't have a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees, yet it's all right. He talks another line, he says, we come in the age's most uncertain hour. And he's a beautiful poet, the age's most uncertain hour. You see, our practice of presence, of mindful, loving awareness, is not one of having some special attainment, some special state, they come and go. And it's not a grim duty to meditate. It's an invitation of tenderness and courage, of intimacy and wonder. To trust that it's possible to become intimate with all things, as Zen Master Dogen says, even in exile, even in the darkest night of the year, that our attention itself is what knits us back together. And we can start with our body, the dignity of your body. We've been so separated, many of us from our bodies. And it's time to listen. This from the great playwright Moliere, he writes, all the ills of mankind, or humankind it should be, All the tragic misfortunes that fill the history books, all the political blunders, all the failures of the great leaders have arisen merely from a lack of skill at dancing. And there's something so beautiful and deep and comedic as Moliere was in this, but also true. What does it mean to actually inhabit this wild, miraculous, amazing human body? And I watch my little... Grandson Desmond, who has a sandbox in the yard, and it's a big red plastic sandbox with all his toys and has a big red lid. And he took the lid off. He's two years old. And first he was sifting the sand in his hands, and he just loved feeling the earth and the sand. I mean, that was enough to make him happy. And then he took handfuls of the sand and put it into the lid to make a second sandbox on the on the on the grass on the ground next to it. And then he got into it and he started to twirl and he made a big circle in it and he twirled round and round. And he just enjoyed being there in the center of, the, of his own body in his own world. And he laughed and it was so beautiful to see. One of, my, one of the great meditation masters in Ajahn Chah's lineage said, in your search for enlightenment, do not desert the body. And so we can begin to trust. As Voltaire said, the art of medicine primarily consists of amusing the patient while nature does the healing. Just as you could feel how you trust the breath to come in and out, each breath after another, even if you're sick or you go to the hospital you have to have your bone set or you have surgery even, what does the healing? the bones knit, the the wound begins to heal. We keep it clean, we keep it, you know, the infection away. The body knows how to heal itself. We can trust this. And even the neuroscientists show how with meditation, the traumas and the things that have divided our nervous system with practice, they begin to knit back together again, the things that have separated. We can become more whole. We can come back to ourself. So close your eyes for a moment, reflect. As we did in the meditation to begin with, to really be in tune with this marvelous body, to come back from any exile. What does this body want and ask? You can know. What wants to be listened to, honored, felt? let your eyes open again. Just as you can trust the breath, just as you can trust the body to heal itself and to speak to you when you ask and listen, so too you can trust the heart. We get exiled from our heart as well. Ajahn Chah said, if you haven't wept deeply, you haven't really begun to meditate. It's gonna be one part of your practice, the tears, the ocean of tears. And as we get quiet, there's grief and longing and rage and love and joy and fear. All these things held in the heart. When we're exiled from the heart, Vivek Murthy, who is the Surgeon General under President Obama, and now again under President Biden, said that the majority of what comes through the doors in the hospitals and clinics in the U.S. has its origin in our emotions and our lack of awareness of them. I hope that rings true for you. You can understand it, the level of stress, the level of pain, lack of awareness, inability to grieve, to love, to long, to to touch, to be in the heart, then manifest in all these physical ways. But the poet Khalib says, when after heavy rain, the storm clouds disperse, is it not clear that they have wept themselves to the end? And one of the most beautiful things we learn from mindful loving awareness is that we can be aware of all of our emotions, the grief and the love, the longing and the pain, the the fear and the joy and the excitement. And mindful loving awareness makes the space for all of these to be held in the great heart of compassion. Again, take a moment, close your eyes, reflect. What emotions and feelings are in exile? What's asking to be felt? You can know. The heart will speak. And then there's the mind the mind of stories and thoughts and images. That mind, the thinking mind, which is a good servant but a poor master. Do we believe all those stories? I hope not. I remember going to see Ramdas in the last few years. And I went to see him after a period that had been a really busy time. And he asked, so how are you? And I said, too busy. And he looked at me with a smile and he said, drop the two. And it was a beautiful moment because the two was saying it wasn't the way it should be. The judgment, the judging mind. And instead I could simply say, oh, how am I? I'm busy or I'm tired. And one of the beautiful things of mindful loving awareness, again, of ending exile with our bodies or our hearts, we can see what's in our mind. Oh, that's the judging mind. That's this body of fear mind. Thank you, thank you for trying to protect me. I'm okay for now. It's all right, thank you for your opinion. We don't have to believe all of those thoughts and we begin to trust that under all the stories and ideas and fixed opinions and views, under the shame and the longing and the hope, is a deep silence like this time of the year in the fertile darkness, is a vast stillness like the music of the spheres. For what we are is not those thoughts, or emotions or body where the consciousness itself, timeless and still the witness to it all. And here's where we reconnect. And the last of these reconnections of coming back as Sejo did is to the body of the earth that is our body. Joanna Macy, together with John Seed, used to hold what were called the Council for All Beings. And in these weekend or week long rituals, participants were invited to go and spend time in the woods, by the streams, in the mountains, and find their connection with something that needed a voice in the human world. And they came back into council. And each one of them sometimes because they made it a beautiful ritual would come back in costume of some kind or create a mask, but really it was the voice of their heart. And they would say one at a time, they would be invited to speak to the human family and say. I speak for the salmon. And our rivers are gone and damned or polluted. And the voice of the salmon would come through that human. I speak for the otters. I speak for the glaciers. I speak for the condors or the ocean. And we have this miraculous capacity to return from disconnection and exile and come back to be truly connected. We know this. It's deep in us. When the hurricane hit Houston and the whole city was flooded some years ago and people were on their roofs waiting to be rescued with their children and their dogs, there was the whole Cajun Navy that came. People with their airboats from Louisiana and Mississippi Saying it's our brothers, our sisters. This is what it means to come back as Sejo did. The mind creates the abyss, says Ms. and the heart crosses it. Or the great mystic poet Kabir says, are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. You see, the deep lesson from Seijo is that you've never really been separated, that the separation is only a dream. The salmon and the glaciers and the otters and all that you care about, the fields of alfalfa and the kelp in the ocean, they're all in your blood and breath, they are you too. And the separation is only a dream. So we light our candles for love and the gift of our meditation practice to take time to quiet the mind and bring a sacred presence. Even if it's boring, Gandhi called it blessed monotony. All right, do it anyway because the goal is not to be somewhere else, but to open the eyes of the eyes and the ears of the ears. This is gonna be a tough winter. More people will die. Children will be hungry, especially vulnerable communities, people of color, communities that have been already marginalized will be lost, species will be lost. There will be personal and collective suffering It's true, and your heart needs to allow this to be felt and touched. But in this darkest time, it's also true that this is only a chapter in the vast music of the spheres, that the sun returns. And like Seijo, we humans can also return. As we get quiet, and listen to the the fertile darkness. This return is only limited by our own heart. And meditation is the sweet oil that eases the hinge into the garden. When we listen and reconnect, we contend our family. Trust that when you listen, you will know how. We can listen to the unheard voices we can touch and mend what's been broken. And with our hearts, we can bring peace to our lives and care and peace across the world. The practices that we do together, loving kindness, compassion, A deep listening and attention, they bring us back from exile to mystery and presence, awe, and most importantly, to love. So I thank you for the listening. It's funny, I'm sitting here and I feel like I just made a sales pitch for meditation, <laughs> which I did actually, but okay. But that's because you already, you've already you already bought into the industry and the company. You already have your shares. And I promise you they're gonna go up just like Tesla stock, I promise. You can trust that too.